0: Welcome to Spinning Back Click, where each week here at MMA Junkie, we take a spin through the biggest stories in MMA. On this week's docket, Fury vs. Ngannou is official, the UFC's undisputed light heavyweight title is vacant, and Jake Paul says Nate Diaz is boring, all that and much, much more. Hello everyone, I'm your host, Gorgeous George, and with me, some of the sharpest MMA minds in the biz. Joining me this week, SBC creator goes... From MMA Junkie Radio, he's here in Sin City. The MMA media titan is back, Mike Vaughn. He's in Toronto. And one of the best coaches in the sport, Eric Nixick from Extreme Couture. He joins us today. Cold Coffee is on the ones and twos. Let's get to it. Last week, we got the official news of a boxing match involving WBC heavyweight champion Tyson Fury versus former UFC heavyweight champion and current PFL heavyweight Francis Ngannou. The date, October 28th. The location, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. The deets. All right, so this fight takes place in a regulation boxing ring under boxing rules with three ringside judges using the 10-point must system. Also, we know that it's 10 rounds. It's not an exhibition. It's a proper professional boxing match. However, it will not be for a title. React, the first tick of the week belongs to goes. Well, we didn't, we didn't really grow
1: up with these options where we have the baddest man on the planet in mixed martial arts versus the baddest man on the planet in boxing. They're matching up. I mean, the closest thing I can think of anything like this was Muhammad Ali, right, in Japan. Uh, but we got it now. And, and I don't say this too often, but I feel like Francis Ngannou won here, regardless of the outcome of this boxing matchup. And Ngannou has already won. What did he win? He won his freedom. wanted his ability to advocate for other fighters his contract is going to pay him more and don't forget this guys if he would have stuck around with the ufc and he would have lost that contract would have gone down and the ufc would have made his life hell so this dude walked out of the ufc at the right time said a lot of things he was going to do and he backed it all up and a lot of people were very negative towards what he was trying to do some stuck around um, but he was able to pull it off, man. And I think this is something that's really, really important for fighters all around. This could be the spark, right? We see even George, you brought up it, it in the intro, Jake Paul and Nate Diaz, like look at Nate Diaz. He kind of walked away from the UFC and potentially has a big payday too. Um, we've already seen Francis doing some work at PFL, able to kind of secure big contracts for people that are going to fight him. So this is a big game changer. And I think it's, it's a, a real important time in our sport. I'm happy for Francis Ngannou, and this is an uphill battle. Let's not get it twisted, right? This is one of the best boxers that ever lived in Tyson Fury. Um, They are heavyweights. You do have one-punch knockout power, but I've seen Tyson Fury get hit with some shots that would knock out a cow, man, and he just gets right back up. So it's going to be interesting, but I know come fight night, if I dish out my money for this, I'm going to have them tingles. I'm going to have them goosebumps. I'm going to be down for this. So all around, I'm pretty happy to see this happen.
0: Excellent start, goes. I love the Muhammad Ali and Antonio Inoki uh, comparison. However, don't forget one time Rocky Balboa and Thunderlips mixed it up. So we have kind of seen this a little bit before. How about you, Mike Vaughn? React to this. This was huge last week.
2: Yeah, I'm super happy for Francis as well. I think that's going to be the theme, of course, with Eric here as well. Uh, Who shouldn't be, right? Like this is what he said he was going to do. This was probably like the number one goal on the checklist. And he made it happen despite all the doubts and all the criticism and all the things people threw his way. He stayed the course, always maintained confidence that things would come out uh, for him on the right end. And here we are, right? Like the actual analysis and breakdown of like how the fight's going to go, the technical side of it. That's obviously... a a little bit of a different case and a different discussion but the fact this fight came together like it did is very significant not only from you know francis's side but just combat sports as a whole right like we may never get an opportunity to see something like this where the lineal ufc heavyweight champion is able to take on the boxing heavyweight champion um you know with the way ufc contracts are set up the way you know people get locked into championship <laughs> classes, all these different things It's going to be really tough for someone to position themselves like Francis again. And maybe even get to the point where the UFC you know, lets them get into a situation like that. So the fact he was here, that he pursued what he wanted and got what he wanted is very meaningful. And just the visual of having those two in the ring together is going to be something very special and exciting to see. And I hope everyone who is maybe critical of it or you know says this isn't the right fight for Tyson Fury. He's ducking the real challenges in boxing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, just appreciate this for a moment because you'll probably never see anything like it again
0: all right and eric of course you're very close to this first topic of ours um i'd like you to react to not only the announcement that we heard this past week but what was it like behind the scenes of what you can share to us as this thing kind of was hot and cold
3: and you know or maybe it wasn't i don't know you you share with us please yeah sure i mean this was a a fight that i was i knew that we had signed um a month back before the announcement so it was such good news for the entire team, but it was so hard to keep it under wraps, you know, so we didn't really we didn't tell anybody at all. Um, but then it was about probably about a month ahead of that. There was a lot of traction and I felt like there was a little bit more to be said about it when you started hearing Dana speaking about getting Tyson Fury and John Jones a fight. So I was like, oh, there, there might be some if there's smoke, there's fire. Um, so like hearing everything, the way it kind of developed, um, you know, it was behind the scenes and Markel and, and Francis were able to get this job done again, man, super excited. I echo everything that, uh, Mike and, and go said the excitement amongst the team of, of just listen, man, this is a one hurdle to another hurdle to another hurdle, but it was one big hurdle that we had to jump and, and we were able to achieve that. So, you know, looking forward to the opportunity to be able to be a part of this camp and, um, you know, put our best foot forward. Eric, we got more
0: questions about this for you, but just a quick one that everyone needs to know. I know you're as a head coach in MMA, but you're part of the team for this boxing match as well. Uh, Can you share that, please? Yeah,
3: yeah. so I'll be part of the team, um, but we are looking to hire a boxing coach to be involved and be a part of it. Francis, kind of the way we all laid it out on Friday, Francis is like, look, I'm going to have a boxing team with specifics to strength and conditioning, to this, to this, to that. And also coaching, but I want you and Dewey to be involved um, at whatever capacity you guys feel comfortable with. But I'm, I'm telling you guys, I want you guys there. Um, we'll work out the details as far as corners and stuff goes. But um, I plan on trying to be in Saudi Arabia with him for the entire month of October, pending on what other things get scheduled fight-wise. But I, I'm excited for him. You know, and to be honest with you guys, it lays a lot of pressure off of me. Trying to go figure out this guy Tyson Fury, um, but at the end of the day, man, uh, we're family. We're all very, we're all very close. Um, I'm happy to be involved in this historic event at whatever capacity he needs me at. Hey, Eric, and-
1: I, I got a question real quick. Just mm-hmm. because, you know, you've never been shy to kind of reach out to other coaches. I know a lot of you coaches talk to each other. I can't think of a better guy that has experience with mixed martial arts, has been watching it now, covering it, and boxing. Teddy Atlas. I know you guys have talked before. Have you guys maybe picked his brain as to who he thinks
3: could be a good candidate for that job? Absolutely. He was the first guy that we brought up on on Friday. Um, again, like there's just a couple of things that I understand why I'll be involved in the campus because of my ability to hold pads for Francis. There's not a lot of people that can hold pads for Francis. Um, you know, Dewey myself can do that. We're big bodied men, you know, we're, we're we, we take that wear and tear. So it'd be interesting to see what, age of the coaches, what style like freddie roach is not going to be able to hold pads for francis um i don't think teddy alice is going to be able to hold pads for francis and i'm not saying um pads is the end-all be-all when it comes to being a great boxing coach i'm just saying like wear and tear on a body when it comes to a heavyweight uh power puncher like francis does take its toll so if there's a guy like teddy atlas that would come along um i know that doing i would probably be doing still a lot of the physical work Whereas Teddy would probably be monitoring and handling all the all the stuff on the on the outside, so it'd be interesting to see what we decide to do and what route we go with the coach. But Teddy was one of the first names that was brought up.
0: Eric, just to clear up and make sure here, if this thing was signed about a month ago, you're saying that when Dana was bringing up Fury coming to the UFC and fighting Jones, you kind of already kind of had the giggles going on because that just wasn't going to happen or did you feel like it was a, an actual threat and maybe the other deal was could either fall apart or can you clarify
3: that please no i i mean i knew we were in talks the the deal oh, was no. not done i knew we were okay. in talks and and sure. we were close to getting that signed but you know i'm just i'm just talking from my perspective this is yeah. not factual what i i just i felt when hearing dana speak about it a little bit i was like oh shit maybe there is something going on with Francis and Fury because there's no other reason why Dan is now bringing this up. In my opinion, I just felt like it was kind of like, okay, you know, I, I think there is a little bit of attraction uh, traction here. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, you can participate in the show via
0: the chat, asking a question, leaving a comment. I'll try to get to some of those throughout the show. Obviously the better the question, the comment, the more likely it is to get on. Everyone seems to be pretty fired up about it except for West coast. that. Uh, looks more like John Jones's burner. He's uh, really hating on it. But other than that, everyone's in. So that's great news. All right, let's move on to topic two here. UFC light heavyweight champion Jamal Hill relinquished his title last week after suffering an Achilles tendon tear. This is a serious injury that will require surgery and months of rehab. So now that the title is vacant as of right now and there is no fight booking to crown a new champion, what do we do? Mike Bond, what's your reaction to the unfortunate news? And what two fighters would you put into that vacant title fight? Volume,
2: you're on mute. Sorry, guys. Uh, Obviously, a heartbreaker for Jamal Hill, right? Like, he had been waiting months and months at this point for Yuri Prohoshka to get healthy. And then, just when it seems like we're kind of on the verge to maybe getting that fight booked, jump into a training camp, something like that, uh, this happens. And uh, Keeley's injuries are obviously very serious business, right? Like, uh, for a fighter, uh, especially one like a power puncher like Jamal Hill, who relies a lot on his athleticism and stuff, it doesn't get much worse than that for him. So obviously hoping that this isn't a you know super serious recovery. I don't know if there's like degrees of an Achilles rupture and things like that. But of course, we give him our best wishes that it's not on the worst end of it. But just continuing the trend of this light heavyweight division being pretty much a disaster since John Jones vacated that title a little over three years ago now. I believe this is the fourth title vacancy in this division in five years, which is just remarkable to think about. Uh, all kind of the iterations we've gone through here um as far as like what kind of comes on the cusp of this you have to imagine yuri prohodzka is one half of the vacant title fight um he's more than worthy he didn't lose his belts in the ring or in the octagon rather um so he's got to be it right and i know there were some rumors floating around yesterday that maybe they were going to slap the vacant title on jan bohovich versus alex Pereira. In just a few weeks here at UFC 291, I reached out to UFC and asked about that Facebook kind of promotion text that came out. They said it was a typo. It was like some copy that was rolled over from UFC 290 as far as like the promotion. And that's why it said two title fights. Take that for what you will. That's what uh, their PR staff told me. So that's why I put it out there. Um, So given that, I think maybe we just wait and see what happens with Alex Pereira and... Jan Blachowicz and the winner of that fights Yuri. But we also can't forget about Megamed Ankalaev. right? He's on a 10 fight undefeated streak. A lot of people feel he deserved that win against Jan Blachowicz back in December rather than it being a draw. So... He's probably the most deserving in terms of merit, but we know how the UFC likes to book fights, you know, that the people want to see and that are going to sell the most pay-per-views. And in my opinion, if Alex Pereira wins, he is the biggest name that people probably want to see in the title fight the most. And a fight with Yuri would be absolutely insane. So I think right now we just got to sit on our hands for a couple of weeks here, see how that fight plays out in Salt Lake City, and then we'll have a much clearer idea of exactly what it's going to be.
0: That's why he's the MMA media titan. The other day, I saw the unfortunate news. I'm making my coffee, wondering, could it be Hill? And and uh, this guy already had my answer for me. So, yeah, great job, Mike Vaughn. Eric Nixon, what do you think, man? You know, this had to break your heart. It's not your guy, per se, but it's a guy that's been around. And you know what the setback can be for a professional prize fighter. Uh, weigh in, please.
3: Man, I, I saw Jamal at the PI when when the news was handed down, and uh, you know I was. I, we have a, a running joke about you know some shoes and stuff like that. I saw Jamal; and he came in on a on a on a roller with this you know with his foot up, and right away I could just feel his energy, and I, and you know I just I felt like I was I was there with him, you know, and and that was. Uh, you know, devastating to kind of see what, what, what transpired in the meeting that he had. But I think he did the right thing. And I understand that this division has kind of been in shambles, like Mike said, since uh, since John Jones has vacated the belt. But, you know, same thing happened with Yuri, unfortunately, an injury that I saw on my mats. He gave up his belt, he moved it on, and Jamal Hill kept the division rolling. In this particular situation, it's interesting to think business sense for these guys, because you have to have a pay per view with a title fight attached to it. So it'll be interesting to get, see what they decide to do if they try to wait and put somebody in that title slot to fill one of those pay per view voids later on down the line. As far as talent goes, I'm with you guys, man. I think Ankle is the guy to put in that at one, one, Ankle Live, maybe Yuri. Um, but if that winner out of the Perea fight does it in devastating fashion, then you can make your argument for filling in one of those guys as well.
0: All right, goes. We saw this guy on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, I put trying to piece it all together, man. It just breaks my heart that I couldn't tell him something at that moment. But uh, just unfortunate what happened. Share your thoughts. Well, you know, when I heard he had
1: given up the title, I mean, I thought, what is he doing? Like, what? Usually, you don't really see that that type of stuff. It's a very stand up thing for Hill to do. Uh, Something he didn't have to do. And I think it says a lot about himself and probably his love for the sport. But I was trying to piece together reasons why he could have done that. And, you know, one thing that kind of sticks out for me is whenever you're dealing with a recovery process, whether that's physical or whether that's, you know, drugs, alcohol, the, the biggest enemy of that process are distractions. And possibly maybe giving up that title is his way of eliminating that, right? He's a young cat. And and maybe by doing that, now he can return on his own timeline. He doesn't have to worry about meeting certain goals because a lot of times fighters are their own worst enemies. They want to get back out there, especially when, you know, you're holding that big title and you're seeing somebody else walking around with it. I think you just, sometimes they could speed things up a little too much. This is a serious injury. We've seen it happen across the board in all sports. You really have to take your time. Um, I, I commend Jamal for doing that. And I hope he does take his time because, when he comes back, and I think he probably knows this, I think the UFC likes him. The fans love him. We love to see him fight. Uh, he's been kind of a company guy so far. So I think when he comes back, everything's just going to fall back into place for him. But for now, I think he has to take his time. And we'll have to see, uh, you know, Blahovic and, uh, and Pereira. I don't think anything's going to get slapped on that. We won't know until uh, Blahovich is in the air anyway, right? That's how he finds out. So <laughs> I, think, uh, I think going forward, I think it'd be nice if it were Yuri. <laughs> And then the winner of that, if it's Pereira, like Mike said, holy crap, that that'll be a, an insane fight.
0: Yeah, uh, Mike, how close was Prochaska to coming back? Do you know anything about that, or do you, Eric? Either one of you, because I know Hill felt like this fight could happen in 2023, but that's still a whole half a year left. So I I don't know what timeline he was he was thinking when you know he he hadn't uh, suffered the, the tear yet.
2: His uh, manager, Tim Simpson, I think was on uh, the MMA hour with Ariel Hawani like a few weeks ago. And he said that he was cleared and ready to go. So I mm. think it was more just trying to find a date for it. At that point, you know, we obviously have a, a few pay-per-views left that aren't booked up through the end of the year. So I assume they're trying to work someone out for there, but... Um, Yeah, I mean, if you've anyone who's seen like Jamal Hill kind of rolling around in the last few months, he's obviously maybe not in perfect fight shape right now. So I think they're probably still working towards that and camp had to start at this point. So, yeah, I I think he's essentially ready to go. But I know there's some pressure starting to come on his side. Like, let's make this thing happen. Jamal was getting very antsy and trying to book a fight. And I think we were probably getting pretty close there. And this whole thing obviously just threw it out of whack, which maybe for Yuri is... You know, the best case, maybe he, as you were just talking about, there goes like Jamal, maybe rushing back. I think Yuri was kind of getting to that area a little bit. And if this buys him another six weeks, two months, whatever, uh, that could be for the best for him.
0: What I heard behind the scenes is that both Yuri and Jamal will get paid review points when they come back even though they aren't champions. And I think that's awesome because that's one big moment aside from being the best in the world, having the gold draped around your waist. It's that life-changing money that comes with it. So I do like hearing that. But guys, let me run this by you. Relinquishing titles. You know, a lot of times I compare this to the torn labrum, which is what Yuri had to believe. I compare this to the ACL. I've seen fighters just become the undisputed who sits on the sidelines when they bring in the interim two times in a row
3: relinquishing your guys' thoughts there. Anybody have a problem with that? I think it depends on the injury and how long the timetable is going to be and how the division is going to be stacked up and, or held up for that matter. So, you know, when you, when you have a, an injury where your fighter is going to be out for a year, um, especially like an Achilles injury like this, I think relinquishing is the right call. I think that's the right call in this particular situation. But, you know, hey, a guy might be out three to six months. You know, relinquishing might not be the answer. Maybe an interim or something like that might be a better void to fill that time to keep the division fresh and moving. But, you know, I really just think it's depicted on each situation and the injury. See, I feel
0: like a lot of fighters might let our champions might let a whole year go by without defending anyway. And they're healthy. That's why I thought, hmm, that's a little bizarre to me. We saw him jump the gun with Francis a few years ago when. He couldn't fight in August, but he fight in, in September. But instead, they do Lewis versus gone for the interim, and he wasn't injured. This is a guy that just wanted to go to Africa and show the belt off, you know, see family and interim, you know. But yet, there was no really no no real injury at that time. That it's the most bizarre thing when it comes to these titles how the UFC works, but relinquishing. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I like the moment of having a fighter defeat the undisputed and get the mo- to get that moment. When you don't get that moment, it's a little bit different. It's kind of like what they call putting over in, in pro wrestling and when you fight for a vacant title, you don't have that moment. So that kind
2: of mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just circumstantial, kind of like Eric said there. And I mean, if you want to be devil's advocate here, you could say maybe, you know, Jamal Hill was fortunate to get his title fight in that belt anyways. His was circumstantial because not only Yuri vacating, but then the draw that we had in December, the UFC's need to have another title fight on that pay-per-view in Brazil in January. They slapped that together on very short notice. So the whole thing is just kind of chaotic. Not saying Jamal Hill didn't deserve to be a champion or anything like that. I think he's one of the very best guys in this division, regardless. List, but the whole thing was just kind of weird timeline wise and the way he got his belt to be like hey you know by the time he returns it would probably be a year and a half or more between fights and you're sitting there being like okay well that's a long time to sit when you kind of fell ass backwards into the title shot anyways
0: mm-hmm. yeah all right good stuff guys uh chat i will get to you in just a sec i gotta do a
2: little bit of catch up um actually but here's let me, one let me address one here George really sure, quick go ahead. one that, from a uh, blunt magic who says I think everything happens for a reason Hill seems super comfortable waiting for Yuri when he should have been ready to defend he's been ready to defend I'll clear that up right now I talked to him 2 days after he won the title he was wanting to fight Yuri in like June, July, August he said if nothing comes around by then I'm going to start looking at other opponents the UFC wanted him to wait to have that title fight with Yuri and then this happens so he's been ready to fight i would not put the blame on him at all for uh not having fought before this
0: eric here comes one from probably an old school fan it's a proper question in a way because maybe not with the current you know atmosphere at extreme couture um or rotation of coaches i should say nick says will gil martinez or ron frazier be helping in camp two guys from the boxing world i think it's a Proper question, but I know they just haven't been around as much as they used to, but go ahead and take that one.
3: Uh Ron still works at our gym. He does uh personal training at the gym and he still still helps out with some stuff. Um, so he's around the gym all the time. Gil is employed by um I think Hector over at Cabrinhas. He does a lot of the boxing over there. Uh I ran into Gil. Gil stopped by the gym. I mean, we're we're always been pretty open doors as it is. There's not like any issues with any of these guys at all. Um, but we have our our pro team, and we're pretty set on what we have as far as coaches wise goes. But like a guy like Dewey Cooper cross trains with us, right? Like we share a lot of fires fighters, fighters together. Um, I can see that being something for for the future, especially with um, you know guys talented as Gil Martinez in the boxing department. A lot of our guys will go over there and, and learn some stuff from Gil. So I think it's important to have those those doors open because there's so many talented coaches throughout the city. Mike, mm-hmm.
0: uh, sorry, Eric. Since you brought him up, this is way off topic, but Cooper, Extreme Couture, everything cool. Recently, Sean Strickland had some comments. Was that just ah stuff that happens in the locker room or did something need to be squashed there?
3: Yeah, I I didn't think it was cool. I I didn't understand why Sean, you know, used that platform to say what he had to say. I think if you feel that way, you know, you can say that to me or say it to somebody within the team. You know, <clears throat> all my point to Sean was is look, Dewey's a great coach. He might not be a great coach for you right each coach is just individual so uh to to the fighter now you might have your your thoughts on the way he coaches or way this or that but he has a roster of guys that care about him and i've been there i've seen it he's a personal friend of mine he's a brother of mine i consider him a a really good friend so you know i was disappointed just because you know dewey spends a lot of time in the gym i spent a lot of time with dewey some of my fondest moments are with dewey cooper and uh, i i personally called dewey to apologize i asked him um how he would like me to handle the situation because in a situation like that if I bring it up or I shed more light to it somebody that might not have saw it and now, now makes a new media run so sometimes things like that you just let it go and, and not touch it and that's Dewey's thought on he's like listen man the guy's an emotional dude says things off the cuff he goes I'd rather just talk to him one-on-one and and, and you know if we got beef we got beef Dewey handled it the right way Sean did apologize to Dewey Sean goes on his runs and says dumb stuff, and we all know what he is at times. Um, but he's, you know, he's our guy. He's a great guy. But at the end of the day, I think you just have to pick your words wisely, especially in the, in the, in the setting that you're in. All right. All right. Cool, man. Thanks for the
0: update on that. Let's move on here. So Jake Paul, he's been criticizing Nick D- sorry Nate Diaz for not promoting their upcoming fight, which takes place in less than three weeks. Here's what he said about Diaz when he spoke to MMA Junkie last week. That's why I signed up for this
2: is to give the people the show and to squash this beef. He talked a lot more shit to me before we signed up to fight. So he's kind of being a bitch in that sense. Um, And I expected more out of him and I expected him to carry that gangster attitude and to, you know, not take my insults and all this stuff, but pretty much he's rolled over like a bitch and has been quite boring which pisses me off but i'm used to carrying these promotions and i guess that's no different with this one
0: all right the one thing i gotta clear up if you haven't followed the diaz brothers for the last 20 years the one thing they aren't are bitches they've made that perfectly clear but okay he's disappointed and look this thing snuck up on us it happens in less than three weeks so i ask you guys we'll go to eric purse are you still pumped were you ever pumped uh what do you think of this
3: fight that's coming up (laughs) Well, let's let's get this part out of the way, too. And, yes, for one, they, they are not bitches. But, number two, they've never been big media promotion guys anyway. So I, I feel like you have to know what you're getting yourself into if you're the Jake Paul camp. You're not going to get a lot of this out of Nate Diaz to begin with. But the the answer to that is, no, not really pumped. It's a fight that I think that will jump up on you on a day's notice. I'm like, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the fight's tomorrow. Um, uh, I'll check it out. One of those things. We're not just um, you know, we have we don't have a countdown anywhere waiting for this fight to happen. Are you excited about it? I am because I'm excited about seeing former MMA guys go out and make some make, make some money and do some things where I feel like they can box more often than they can go get in MMA fights. Um there's there is some interest there, I think, but it's not an overwhelming man, I can't wait to watch this fight. And you know, Jake Paul is right in the sense. There's not a lot being talked about it, and you could argue the fact it's because Nate not pulling his weight, but I also feel like you have to know what you're getting yourself into when your dance partner on the other side is a guy who's never really been known to promote the fight anyway.
0: Yeah, and I love the V-roll there because Nate Diaz is just giving them this look like, okay, we're boxing, but let's get one thing straight. On the street, you're mine, kid. Um, go how about you, man? Are you pumped or you ever pumped? And knowing how the Diaz brothers roll, should Jake Paul have better known better?
2: I
1: don't know, I think I'm a little less in. I don't know that I was ever pumped for it. Uh, but like Eric said, I think come night of, what are you doing that's going to be more fun than that? I'd probably tune in. But it's always been kind of a roll of the dice with these types of matchups, right? Because when you think about it, you have two talented combatants. Um, the fight should be able to sell itself when you have that, right? I'll give you an example. So like if you have Gagey and Poirier, they don't have to do a dime of media. They we just, based on their body of work, We are going to tune in. Uh, They are the best at what they do. But in this particular case, you have a guy that's doing some impressive things in boxing and a guy who has done impressive things in mixed martial arts. But they're meeting in the middle and it doesn't really solve anything. It's not a fight that's going to award a belt to anyone or any status or anything like that. So really, all you do have to promote here is kind of a little bit of heat, which usually travels along with Nate Diaz very well. But right now, it's just not resonating because he's not really showing too much interest in what's going on. If I'm Jake Paul, uh, you know, you can poke the bear over and over. So far, he hasn't reacted. But I'll tell you what: usually, the guys that are around him react. You got to get some kind of reaction because, you know, I think we're going to tune into this. But I think a lot there's a lot of people that need a little bit of that angle, a little bit of that heat, a reason to care. Because if you don't care, we're not going to care, right? And like Eric said, you don't have the power of the UFC promoting this. You know, all the vignettes that they put together, the countdown shows. Uh, I think Nate Diaz has to do a little bit of the heavy lifting, not a lot, but I think he just has to show a little bit more interest if they're going to want to break some records here with, the, with these
0: numbers. Mike, you are the interviewer here with Jake Paul. You're pretty close to the camp. They reached out to you many times. What do you think, man? Is this a high level of frustration from their end? And do you think this thing can pick up steam in these last few weeks so that it becomes the big event that we thought it would be?
2: I think there's some frustration, but I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag, right? Like Jake Paul, from you know, my understanding, like the reason he's in combat sports continues to do this. It's not necessarily for the money. It's for the moments, right? So I don't think he's sitting there being like, damn it, like he's costing us 50K, 100K pay-per-view buys by not responding to my tweets or doing interviews saying this, that or the other thing to build up the fight. I think he just more so expected like the the moment a little bit with Nate Diaz to be more satisfied satisfying for himself and he hasn't quite got that yet but things can change i tweeted this out uh, when we you know put this clip out on the mma junkie account and said don't underestimate nate diaz's savvy like they did the one press conference a few months out and admittedly it was pretty lackluster not a lot said nate was being complimentary towards jake saying he think he's done a great job all this stuff maybe you didn't expect to hear but he knows that there's a hundred UFC and Bellator and PFL events between when they did that press conference and when the fight happens and anything that maybe he says right there in that scrum or whatever is probably going to be forgotten about and pushed down the website pages in pretty quick fashion there. So I am going to, I guess, hold, judgment fully on the promotion of this fight until fight week arrives, because I think once they get in a fight week press conference, maybe some stuff happens between the teams, as we know, are both uh, pretty prone to that kind of stuff. (laughs) Then maybe it pushes into overdrive. I think Nate knows the game well enough that he's going to pick his moment well and something will happen that will go viral or whatever the case may be that's going to create the fight week interest. And I think that's more of probably how he's plotting things there, because he's never been the type to really engage and you know, send tweets directly to Jake Paul back. Maybe he'll send a sub-tweet out there you know, calling you a name or whatever but won't ex- specifically reference you. And that's usually how it'll go down with him. So uh, I'll give it these final couple weeks here, see what happens when the night of the fight arrives. I think we're all going to be pretty stoked to watch it uh, when the day comes. But right now, it's just kind of waiting for the time to pass. And we'll, we'll see what happens as they continue to do more media as the days wind down. Would you
0: guys not agree that at one point it almost seemed like,
2: oh, wow, it'll be nice when he gets out of the UFC and fights Jake
0: Paul. This will be a mega fight, when now all of a sudden it almost seems like he wants to get that over with and get him back to the UFC and lock horns with McGregor, which those two never really touched the subject, but now they touch it more than ever. Um, I don't know. It, it, it it's. He, I think Nate Diaz is kind of hurting his own pocket. He's part promoter here, for crying out loud.
2: I think, I think that's fair for sure. Um, well, yeah, he's the one who's going to be taken, as they said, kind of splitting all the profits and stuff here. So yeah, it would be in his best interest to do that. Um, I don't know exactly how the contract is structured, what he's getting guaranteed, all that stuff, but yeah, I think you're pretty on point there. And I think the fact that Jake lost that fight to Tommy Fury definitely takes away the luster. If he was still undefeated and all that stuff, I think it would be a little bit of a different thing, but what's Nate going to do to promote this fight? Be like, bro, like you just lost blah, blah, blah. Then he's, underselling the <laughs> opponent that he's trying to beat, which is like anti-promotion. So it's, it's very complicated in that sense. I got a question
0: for Eric. This comes from Joseph Manzanalis. Eric, what do you see as the difference between this Diaz fight and the Francis fight?
3: Um, you know, I think Diaz comes from more of that boxing pedigree style anyway that he, he had within MMA for for. Long period of his career t- towards the tail end. I know uh, primarily he was a jiu-jitsu guy in the beginning, but I feel like he focused a lot more on his uh, on his boxing and his style. Kind of reminds me of like wh- where Sean Strickland's at right now in, in, in his career, the way he likes to box and utilizes jab. Um, as far as the Francis goes, you know we're obviously looking for that for that KO one punch knock your head off type of power where that Francis possesses. So a little bit of different styles, obviously. Um, I think for me, over the years with Francis, I try to get him a little bit more into understanding the stance switches um, to be able to flow in and out of different positions and set things up differently accordingly to where he's at within the cage. So there's a couple different interesting standpoints when it comes to boxing um, in a boxing ring versus fighting in a cage. So a lot of things are, are different. Um, but the main thing to me that stands out is the obvious knockout power that Francis possesses versus what um Nick Diaz or Nate Diaz's style of kind of peppering you and then you know wearing down on you hitting your body and then finding that kill shot maybe in the third or fourth round of a of a MMA fight. Goes I got one
0: for you from the chat. This comes from me Diamond44. Do you think Nate regrets agreeing
1: to this? I don't because um you know I think it's gonna be a handsome payday and the training like you know at this point in his career uh, in boxing training, yeah. everything is normally pointed towards yourself, right? If he were training for MMA, he'd have other people relying on him for their fights, and and I'm sure he just probably doesn't want to some days wake up and train and go through those rough days where in boxing, I think it's all towards him. I, I, I think it's going to be a nice little payday for him. I don't think he regrets it, but I'll tell you what, night of, if he gets KO'd by Jake Paul, hell yeah, he's going to regret it because I ain't going to look very good for him at all, and it's not going to help him out in uh, wanting to see him back in the UFC. So you better take this serious, man, because Jake Paul, make make as much fun as you want about him. The one thing he doesn't do is really disrespect the sport, the training. He comes prepared. He tries to get better, and uh, he's a tough out.
0: Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Let's move on. Uh, Myra Bueno Silva defeated Holly Holm in the main event at UFC on ESPN 49 using what's called a ninja choke. Holly was clinching up Silva against the cage, and moments later... She was tapping just like the UFC light heavyweight division has a title vacancy. The UFC women's bantamweight division is in the same boat. As you recall, Amanda Nunez retired after her last title defense versus Irene Aldana. So Silva, she wants in. Did she do enough goes make a case for her. If you agree, if not, tell me what else makes
1: more sense. You know, I think at the end of the day, it's probably going to work out in her favor. This is fresh. It's in our heads, right? It just happened. She didn't just get the win. She looked great, and she got that finish in the process. So um, I think that's what she needed. I think that's what she needed to bypass what's on paper. You want to know what's on paper? Well, you have Raquel Pennington, right? And she has one more win and possibly even a more impressive hit list. Um, So we can debate that. uh, uh, But you could even say arguably Aldana's spot could have gone to Pennington. But the thing about Raquel Pennington is we don't really hear much from her. She doesn't say much. She doesn't really make you – Bring up her name too often And I think that's what hurts her I think that's what, what can hurt a fighter When the stats aren't overwhelming in your favor You have to make some kind of noise right? And I think that's what Buena Silva did this, this past weekend And we know Juliana Pena like That's all she does is make noise right? It's non-stop uh, I think she's the shoe-in I think she's the one that's going to get it no matter what It's just a matter of who's on the other side And I think right now with what Buena Silva was able to do I think she's our leading candidate
0: All right, so he's thinking, Goz is thinking Pena versus Bueno Silva. How about you, uh, Mike Vaughn? Bon, you're up next.
2: Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that's the biggest selling fight right now, of like those potential options within that trio. And you saw uh, her and Juliana kind of go back and forth in the aftermath of the fight a little bit. You got a bit of a selling point there. It seems to be a little bit of heat between them, so I think that's probably enough. I mean, no disrespect to Raquel Pennington. She just doesn't have that... Uh, kind of signature standout, like finish during this streak or something that really puts her over the top. And I know her and Tisha Torres just had a, a child a few weeks ago and she was talking to us on the red carpet of the Hall of Fame saying how difficult it was to like get sleep and be dealing with all that to jump into a championship camp right now seems to be asking a lot from her. I'm sure she would do it and make it work if the opportunity was presented, but right now maybe doesn't seem like the ideal circumstances, especially for her because her first title fight all those years ago against Amanda Nunes went so poorly for her. I think she needs to try to find the best circumstances for that next title shot here. So right now, it just seems like Bueno Silva versus Pena is the most logical fight. uh, The one that maybe has the chance to be the most exciting. Like no one's really doing it like Mayer Bueno Silva in this division right now. Right. Three straight finishes, three straight submissions all different techniques Um, she she's dangerous in there and brings a sort of threat that a lot of other people in this weight class don't right now so I would capitalize on that momentum right now if I was the UFC maybe we stand see it land on the card in Brazil towards the end of the year I know it's just a fight night but as we're seeing with Alexa Grosso and Valentina Shevchenko they're willing to put a title fight off fight night so maybe it happens there but right now that feels like the right booking Bueno Silva versus Pena but You never know if things like scheduling injuries, uh, negotiations with contracts, things like that. Um, I'm sure the UFC is pleased at minimum that they do have three options here and that they can kind of maybe leverage people against each other a little bit and find out the best deal for them too.
0: And of course, they could follow what Juliana Pena says and just schedule Juliana against both of them because she can beat them both in one night. Um, Eric, what are your thoughts here? Do you
3: agree with these two guys or nah? No, I agree with him 100 percent. And I'll I'll bring up a couple points to that as well. So think about this. You guys, in in being in the media space, the way that the the news cycle turns very fast, you have we'll talk about these fights from over the weekend, Monday and Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. But then the new press conference hits Wednesday and the new series of fights start. So you tend to forget about what happened the week before pretty quick due to the fact that we have so many fights week in and week out. I think what's going to work out for Silva is the fact that there's no real bantamweight fight that's on the schedule that jumps out, especially after what she did a holiday home in a featured spot on a fight night and beating her in a devastating fashion. So I think this this win will stay fresh in the, in the in the promotion's head, in the fan's head. She'll be talked about a little bit more when that vacancy does become up because there's really nothing else booked. There's no other fight. For example, you had Sean Strickland beat Abus the next week. What are we talking about? It was Whitaker versus Dricus, uh, um, and then that takes the shine away. Now we don't talk about Sean Strickland much. So the way the, the news cycle always is shifting within MMA, for the simple fact, there's nothing really booked as a, in the bantamweight division. I think this is really going to work out for her. And credit to Perupa as well. I, I think he's somebody you got to you got to talk about a little bit from from a from a coach's standpoint. You know, he just had the Pantoja title fight, that victory. Now he's in another position to get his other fighter in. Um, you know, he's doing a great job in American American top team. He has killer after killer after killer. So, just want to give him a little bit of love and a little bit of shine for the work that he's doing over there and putting himself maybe in another position to get another one of his fighters um, an opportunity to fight for a title.
0: Nice shout out to Coach Mahoomba. Um Billy 247, this is where Eric says, that choke was slick. Um, can you explain a little bit about the ninja choke? I think a lot of us thought a dars was being set up or a guillotine was being set up. And next thing you know, she kind of just locked her up. Is this something that your gym, for example, will kind of look at today? I always say that after a weekend, all the gyms are maybe looking at the past weekend's performances and looking to maybe expand on that or defend it. What were your thoughts on that joke?
3: Sure. So if you go back and watch the replay, watch the way Silva anchors her chin on her wrist, right? See that anchor right there? Yeah. So – um what holly's trying to do is give her backup she's she's trying to turn and and turn down and give that backup and let legit just fall to her back but by anchoring that chin underneath her wrist it helps some of that momentum of the turn watch right now look at holly she's trying to turn to her left shoulder right here she's trying to turn down she that that option has now gone away so the ninja choke is um a good i guess uh for the for the head inside single it's a good way to negate the head inside single guys will try to wrap the ninja choke from that position if you remember um, Mads Brunel versus Arnold Allen, Mads Brunel was winning that fight uh, handily, and he kept going to head inside single. And Arnold Allen, one of his specialties was always that ninja choke. And that is one of the kind of the kryptonites the head inside single is that, um, is that ninja choke. You immediately want to try to give your back up before they can anchor in and, and um, legit, like, watch her way. She just hands her, puts her chin right on top of that hand. It's a beautiful technique. She did it good. She did it very well. Um, it's one of those things I think Holly needed to identify immediately and give her backup and, and look to create a scramble. But unfortunately, she wasn't able to do so. Um, it's also even nice when you turn your body off the cage and then push your opponent into the barrier and use the use the cage as well as an anchor point. So, what a great submission, man! Especially on the fly there and um, was able to submit one of the one of the best female fighters to ever do it.
0: Yeah, great stuff there from the coach, the 2020 Co-Coach of the Year on MMA Junkie, Eric Nixick, joining us on this week's panel for Spinning Backlick. We do this every week, Mondays, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And the best way to remind yourself is to hit that little bell right there, which will tell you when we're live. Don't miss it. Subscribe and hit that like button while you're at it. Do me that personal solid. Look at the great panel that we've assembled. Look at the B-roll. Cold coffee, just nailing it there as the coach is explaining the uh, ninja choke there by Myra Bueno Silva as she defeated Holly Holm this past weekend. Um, Eric, now it's time for a little more shine on you. We call this Around the Cage with Eric Nixick. Um, so we got some questions for you, my man. And let's start off with KSW's Phil DeVries versus PFL's Francis Ngannou. Do you like hearing the sound of that? That's something that uh, KSW was kind of pitching, and I know you got your dance card full. You got Fury coming up this year, but in 2024, the champ will be returning. PFL looks like they try and be kind of flexible about what they want to do with their athletes no disrespect to their heavyweight division. But what were your thoughts on this? This one kind of had a little bit of steam. Dupreeze has been pretty impressive since, uh, you know, his run in the UFC. He's doing good things out there in KSW. Sure, any, anybody
3: right now. So um, I think I think that's been obviously the, the downfall of, of leaving the UFC is the talent pool. So finding somebody that's going to kind of move the needle, that's going to give us a competitive uh, fight all those things are going to are, are gonna stack up to who we decide or, or who the PFL decides the match is up against. Um, but, yeah, DeFries has done his job, man. I was actually just watching his uh, Todd Duffy fight a few days ago, watching some of his ground and pound. He does a great job anchoring the legs and does some of the things that I really like when it comes to his ground and pound. So his development over the years has been awesome. And, you know, to be honest with you, man, whoever they feel is the right opponent for us, we're going to look at it and, and uh, take that opportunity. So, uh, hopefully we get that we get that right after because I want to get I want to get right back to work.
0: And they do stadium shows out there in Poland, so that would be Crazy. pretty big. If, if they could do a co-promotion, Coach, uh, all
2: right. Can ask one here, quick, George? Um, yeah, just so right. gonna, like obviously, uh, you know, we talk about the MMA move back after in twenty twenty four. What what's the risk though? Right, like everyone looks at Conor McGregor. He got his massive payday against Floyd, Then it was like, man, I've worked my entire life to have this kind of security. Now it's time to enjoy it. Francis has had a very trying you know, ordeal to get here, being through a lot in his life. Um, what are you going to think about like his motivation after this, no matter how it goes against Tyson Fury? Do you think it might be a bit of a challenge to get him to recalibrate back to MMA?
3: I mean, it could be, and I think we'll have to cross that bridge once we get there. But the one thing that I do appreciate about Francis is the fact that like, his motivation has never been about dollars. It's been more about the freedom And being able to do things the right way so you know it is interesting to think i mean this guy's gonna have money that he's never gonna have to do anything for the rest of his life if he doesn't want to but he is a competitor the one thing that really stands out to me is like intimate conversations that i've had with him about his development in mma and how he's enjoying how much he's enjoying the actual art of of mma and and the wrestling and the grappling and everything else that he's kind of fallen in love with over the years so those things, to me, give me hope in knowing that once, um, you know, he fights Tyson Fury, he has that money in the bank, he's secure. I think there's a lot of unfinished business for him that he feels in, in, when it comes to the MMA side of things. You know, I remember him taking uh, somebody down in the gym, had a whole round of just ground and pound, beating up the guy, and he looks over and he's like, man, I love this. You know, And that that to me is, um, you know, a good indicator that he does definitely want to come, come back and compete. And, um, you know, I think he has a lot of unfinished business when it comes to the MMA side of things, to be honest with you.
2: And just one more, sorry, if I can if I could go again. Um, as far as, like, the training, uh, obviously, there's not a ton of time here. I know Francis has been, like, his first love was boxing. I think he has a lot of appreciation and respect for the technique in the game, probably on a different level than Connor did with Floyd. But in terms of, like, adjusting the skill set, what he brings in there, like – I know you're not going to be his primary boxing coach for this, but like your opinion, how much focus should go on to trying to nail the boxing fundamentals or how much reliance can be like, Hey, maybe we have something a little more awkward here that Tyson hasn't seen that we could use to our advantage and try to build and bank on that for success in the fight.
3: Mike, that's my point too. Um, in talking to the team, I think if this is just my thoughts, I, I feel like if you go and try to outbox Tyson Fury, I, I think we're in for a long night. Now, can Francis touch you on the chin and, and knock somebody out? Yes, absolutely, he can. But I think if you're out there trying to out technique Tyson Fury, um, I think it's just I think it's it's going to be downhill for Tyson Fury. I think he's really going to be able to you know utilize his jab. So my thoughts on the situation are: we're going to have to try to come up with things that are innovative, things that maybe traditional boxers aren't accustomed to seeing. And, you know, do things that I think like are, are maybe a little erratic and not as clean as what typical boxers would do. And by saying that, I think when you watch the way Wilder was able to catch Tyson Fury and Wilder's been known as a not really a fundamental style of boxer, but he was able to sit Tyson Fury down. Those punches come from weird angles. They, they come from, you know, herky-jerky, erratic motion. Jay Harano is called guys like that in the gym boogers. And it's more of a term of endearment because they're so so difficult to deal with. So I think we have to kind of stay in that element that you're speaking about, Mike. I don't think we can just try to outbox this man. I think we have to have that somewhat of, um, you know, different style, different attack, different style approach. Some of the things that we're working on within MMA, even with the stance switches, uh, doing things from different positions and and stepping over to different things that maybe uh, certain boxers haven't seen um, in the boxing ring. So uh, I definitely think we're going to have to come up with a different approach rather than just outbox this man. Cool. All
1: right. And coach, so if you don't mind, you know, out in the news, Kevin Lee retired. Um, it's a guy who spent some time at Extreme Couture, but a very pivotal time in his maturity, his growth. Can you maybe share some of your uh, your fondest moments of working with Kevin and, and what he's done accomplished in his career?
3: Oh, man, you know, me Me and that guy have been through a lot together. You know, um, he he's always been a good friend of mine. I actually wrote him. The night of the fight, um, when when he was on the Strickland card, I was hoping to be able to catch him before before he fought. Unfortunately, but when we got there, he was already um, he was already fighting. So I mean, dude, he's going to be near and dear to my heart forever. Just simply alone, just because of the fallist lineage that him and I share. Um, you know, and and man, I was in his corner. I think for four fights, and he's he's always been a good friend. Um, one of my one of my favorite memories of Kevin, I think, was when we fought um, Barboza. You know, we're literally in the hotel room and uh, we watched the tape over and over and over. You know, I'm a tape guy as it is, but, you know, Kevin was kind of buying in on, on watching a lot of tape. And we, Kevin goes, I want to watch it one more time. He's like, man, we I'm pretty sure we saw everything we need to see. We're actually about 20 minutes away from getting on the shuttle to go down or go down to the arena and fight. Right. And he plugs it on and he starts seeing uh, 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 something out of Edson. He's like, man, I feel like, he taps his hands every time he does this and, and started to see these other reads that we didn't see so we were like oh shit let's go back and watch another fight and we did and then that same thing he was talking about came up and that same thing he ca- talked about came up and then uh you know sure shit his read was correct and that was we said right away he's like i'm gonna get in and once i see him do this i'm shooting that double i'm gonna take him down so you know one of my favorite moments of kevin just is seeing his fight iq develop and you know utilizing his vision his eyesight and that you know that was one of my favorite fights he's ever had man I felt like he beat Edson Barboza you know worse than Khabib other than the whole spinning you know kick and almost knocking his ass out but other than that it was a devastating fashion and uh you know he's just a guy that I've always enjoyed having in the room he's always been a a ray of light in the room we always joke around and have a good time man He, he he will be missed um you know I congratulate him on a great career I I know I know Part part of him probably didn't want to hang it up because of uh, you know he probably heard Robert in his ear you know I think I think Robert the moment Fallis met Kevin I remember being in the locker room and Robert coming over to me and saying uh, this kid will be world champion one day you know and and <clears throat> Robert truly believed that and he was close he was he was damn close to uh, achieving that goal so um, but I know Robert's looking down and he's and he's certainly proud of Kevin Lee.
0: Awesome. He, he sure was close, man. He gave Ferguson hell early on in that fight. Um, and we have some great memories with him, too. He used to live in Vegas. He used to come in and co-host a lot. We did a military trip with him. I wish him the best. Um, but yeah, he was definitely an incredible talent. Folks, I want to focus on the chat. If you have a few more questions, we have a few more minutes here on the spinning back. Click. Mike, uh, it's back to you, though. What you got for the coach?
2: Yeah, I see a lot of people, uh, Eric, asking about Sean Strickland, obviously a great win for him. Um, we know right now that it seems like Izzy and Dricus are going to fight in Sydney, but that's not confirmed. Uh, we don't know exactly how Dricus is feeling coming out of the fight with Whitaker. Are you guys talking like if the UFC calls us for a title fight in Sydney in eight weeks or something, is that something you're already preparing for in the back of your head in case that comes around?
3: I think you have to. I I think you really do. And that's the thing with Sean. My main concern is not him being prepared, just making sure his weight was within striking distance to make that championship 185 pound limit. So um, being prepared and being ready for this, I mean, it's very hard to say you're going to get a short notice title fight, but it's one of those situations. I think when you look back at the history of this division, um, you know, guys will guys will be there fight night. Um, you know, the Whitakers and Romero's and fights get scrapped. So you know that's why they have backups. And it would be interesting to think if they do book this with Sean Strickland be a backup fighter for this event. So he does need to stay ready because that phone might ring. Um, at any moment, and I don't want to be behind the eight ball. I want to. I want to be ready to go and, and get this taken care of. So um, yeah, uh, I think Dricus did the job he needed to do. I, I did not think he was going to beat Robert Whitaker amongst others, but the way he did it and the fashion he did it, credit to him, man. He certainly deserves that shot. Um, so we'll we'll see what the UFC decides to do. Sean's not one guy to you know sit around and wait. You know he's a, he's a fighter by nature. Um, I think. Chess wise, he should sit around and wait. Play play a little bit of chess and, and wait for that because I think uh if Izzy wins, you're you're shoeing for that for that title shot. So it'll really depend on what he wants to do and what um what the UFC proposes.
0: Eric, I got one from the chat room here. Marcus Williams says Do you think Francis Nganu's long term earning potential would have been greater as UFC champ, who was the first to defeat John Jones over boxing Tyson Fury and what we know out of the potential payday there.
3: Hard, hard to say, because I I don't know the actual figures of what he's getting paid for the Tyson Fury fight, you know? And and I think you have to look at both sides of risk versus reward in the regards of that was something that did, I'd say bother Francis, but it was one of those things. He didn't feel like he had any security if he were to lose the John Jones and lose his belt where that pay deduction would have gone to. So I think he just made the right call for for the business side of things. You know, people kept saying he's scared and he's this and he's ducking. No, he's just he's just backing up what he's trying to do for his future. That's all. You know, and, and if I if I said, hey, look, man, you can step outside of the USC for two years and go uh, make 40 million or whatever that number is, and then possibly come back or rectify things and, and fight John Jones, we're we're still from the side of saying that 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 fight's not off the table. You know, I know Dana's saying that it's a never, but we've known Dana to go back on some things in his time as well, because look, man, he's a smart, smart businessman. That's the fight mm-hmm. he made later on down the line. If that's a fight that's still, um, you know, within striking distance, we can make it happen. But at the end of the day, I feel like he Francis maximized his value by stepping out and, and getting this Tyson Fury fight. I think he's going to be making a whole lot of money. And
2: he has a guaranteed payday with PFL already lined up after that. Mm-hmm. So that's something that a lot of people need to consider as well. So that's great for him.
1: Don't Play forget it. the sponsorships too, man. The sponsorships can be out of control in boxing.
3: Which that oh, yeah. was part of our meeting again on Friday was, you know, the the names of sponsors that are now coming out of the woodwork because they're able to put their logos on a guy like Francis Ngannou and, and you know, back him up with, um, you know, some some income and things like that. So some of those things that are very interesting that I think that we forgot about being, you know, predominantly UFC guys, that is that sponsorship side of things that's really going to generate a lot of a lot of money for him. Just hearing the numbers of what these guys get off their Instagrams alone just for per post, you know, what his YouTube channel is going to be doing and all these other things. You know, I'm proud of him, man. He's really maximized his value. This is something that I remember sitting down and having those conversations with him during COVID of just hearing him lay out the roadmap of what he wants to accomplish all within, to be honest with you, all within staying within the UFC, right? Like he wanted to do those things under the, um, under the Zufa UFC boxing banner and do all those things together. Unfortunately it didn't work out that way, but still that roadmap was, was very much in front of him and what he was able to accomplish.
0: Eric, let's see if we can squeeze, squeeze three more quick ones in. All right. Billy two four seven says, I'm curious as to who, is a name at Extreme Couture that we need to keep an eye on for a UFC debut soon or who might just be the next big thing coming out of your gym.
3: Oh, man, I got this kid named Mateus Camilo, he'll be on um he'll be fighting on uh Sean Merriman's uh lights out. And <clears throat> I'll tell you what, man, he's a throwback and you guys seen him in the gym. He's been at Extreme Couture since he was 16, crossover from Nova, you know, goes back and forth a little bit, but he's primarily been at our gym for I don't know, maybe five, six years now, and as a puppy, he's a kid. We've got to see grow up through those, through those wars that we've had on those mats. And he's a throwback. And the guys in the room, the old school guys, love to see him uh, spar. Not a lot of people love to spar him, but we like watching him spar. He's sudden. Um, he he's very good everywhere. He has that one punch knockout power, but he's also able to utilize, you know, a full MMA skill set. We've seen him take guys down and submit them. We've seen him ground and pound guys. We've seen him out box guys. So he's a guy that really jumps off the page for me that I'm excited about. Um, Puni Pagoa. Puni's another one uh, transfer from Hawaii, kid we've had for quite a while at Extreme Couture. Shit, when I think about Puni, I just see this little boy. Now he's now he's one of the veterans kind of on the on the floor to the young Hawaiian crop that keeps coming in. But Puni's another guy you got to keep your eye on. He's with uh signed with LFA. He won his last fight, um, you know, knockout again. The thing I love about Puni, and this is a true story, I was watching his rounds before he went and fought, his overall development, he's a, primarily a striker and a guy that, who shied away from a lot of the wrestling and grappling side of things because he just wanted to knock guys out. He really dove into the other aspects of MMA and with being able to watch him grow and develop. I literally had tears in my eyes after watching his last rounds because you know, a guy that wouldn't want to take somebody down because he didn't want to expose too much energy – he was doing the things that were presented in front of him instead of forcing them. The takedown was there, it presented itself. He saw the read, took the guy down, utilized his ground and pound to finish the round out. Seeing guys being able to develop under that Extreme Couture banner has really um really made me proud to see these guys coming up through the ranks and Pooney's one of those guys I think you got to keep an eye on. Don't let kick me for saying
0: this, but can you tighten up the next two cuz I really want to get them in. Here we go. go. Zuckerberg versus Musk. Are you in? Should either one come into XC or is that just nonsense that you want not, nothing to do with? Gimmick fight. Okay. Um, Tabora versus Aswanal. Any thoughts here? I think Tabora used to do the Vegas circuit a little bit. Did you ever get
3: any sessions in with him? Any thoughts on him versus the Englishman? I did not. But, um, you know, I was asked this question a few weeks ago. Who do I think will be heavyweight champion? And the, the two the two um, were Sergey Pavlich and, and uh, uh, Jalton. Almeida. And my wild card answer was Tom Aspinall. Tom Aspinall is a guy I've had my eye on for a long time. I think this dude is uber talented. I think he does so many things well in the cage. The injury was so unfortunate. I was there. I was in London when I saw it happen. Um, But he's a guy that I think can be that perennial UFC champion for a long time with his talent, with his skill set. So I'm really looking forward to that fight. I think um, Aspinall really is the cream of the crop in that division, that that next up, if you will, or the guy to come up and challenge John Jones, I think he's a serious threat for that division. All
0: right, good stuff. I think it was well worth the overtime, a couple minutes here, uh, having the coach at our disposal. Eric, we really appreciate you jumping on the spinning back click with us, being part of the panel. Lots of great insight, especially into that first topic of Fury versus Nganu. It's going to be a huge fight. We can't wait to catch up with you as the fight camp progresses and, and see how things are going, get an update from you. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Folks, catch us every Monday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We're spinning back. Share this with your friends. Don't forget to hit the like button. Hit that little bell so so you know when we're on live, the channel's blowing up. We'll see you all next week. Go out and be a champion.